time today, well not a little time, uh, but the entire time we have here with the preaching of God's Word on verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, that, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto his death. And let's read verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, as we read these two verses, it, it may seem on the surface that uh, what Paul is trying to do is to make sure of his salvation. But that is not uh, the context, that is not the meaning uh, of this passage, simply because... Uh, we already have uh, Paul's salvation experience in verse 9, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. If you have that righteousness which comes from God by faith, you are saved. Amen? But aren't you glad that salvation isn't the end? Salvation is only the beginning. You see, this is one of the ways that you can tell the difference between false religion and a true religion. The religion of the Bible. The, the faith that Jesus Christ gives us, the faith that He wants us to have, starts with settling our eternal destiny. How many of you remember when you used to go to a church where you did everything they said and, they, and the final outcome was maybe someday you'll be good enough to go to heaven? That's the way most religion works. You do everything we can. Everything we say and uh, there's one religion says, well, then you get to go to purgatory and take care of all the things you forgot to take care of and Maybe in a thousand or a uh, hundred years, if you're really good, uh, it might be a really long time if you didn't show up. You know, if you're one of those Easter, Christmas kinds of Christians, you're going to be in purgatory a long time. Uh, God doesn't give second chances. Salvation is not something that can be worked for. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. You know, one of the things that I know about every person in this room, you have a birthday. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be here. Amen? You, you have a birthday. Now, I don't know what everybody's birthdays are. Uh, and if, uh, you, if you're a member of the church, you should get a card or something like that. But uh, my wife takes care of that for the most part. Uh, because if it were left up to me, I, I forget those things. Uh, yet, everyone here has a birthday, otherwise you wouldn't be alive. We have no question as to a person is alive. Why do we have so many questions when it comes to spiritual life? Whether a person is saved or not. Whether a person truly professes salvation and, 
And Jesus says that this is a difficult thing. He said there'll be many. He said to strive to enter in at the straight gate. He said many are going to try, but are not going to be able to. There, that wide is the way. I mean, wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction. And many be that go in thereat. As Jesus was finishing the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, he said, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. And what is his response going to be? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never, never knew you. There are many different types of religion that preach a salvation that you can lose. I'm glad the Bible says, shall never perish, but have everlasting life. If you have the righteousness, which is of faith, which comes from God, You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Before I came out here, I was the bus mechanic at Cleveland Baptist Church. And we had one of those highway coaches, one of those old Greyhound buses back from the 70s. And one of my jobs was to take care of it. And and, uh, uh, on the back of the bus, whoever had owned it before us had a big decal put on the back window that said, getting there is half the fun. And, of course, talking about the journey uh, in this bus was supposed to be wonderful. And it, it was, if you had somebody who knew how to drive the thing, uh, it, was, it was a nice journey. It was an enjoyable time. Uh, but we're supposed to enjoy the journey. The Bible says these things have been written unto you that your, what? Joy. Might be full. And no matter when I preach on joy, how many of us could use more joy? I mean, everybody's hand goes up. I mean, who, who couldn't? Who could not use more joy in your life? We need it. And yet, how do we get that joy? Some churches, they get a rock band in here and they try to drum up the emotions and shake the tambourines. And boy, I'll tell you what, they have a lot of fun on Sundays. But you ought to show up at a place like that on Monday. I've met some preachers. I quit every Monday. I just just get so depressed. You know, I have never had that problem. There's too much to do on Mondays to start getting ready for the next week. You can't take time to pretend that you're quitting and play games. There's, There's too much to do. And so... Our theme for this year is to be still and know that I am God. Now, being still doesn't mean that you do nothing. Being still means that the right of decision, that the determination of your day, the motivation of your life... What makes you tick comes from God, not from you. 
So often what we do, we do for reasons. We, we want people to notice us. I mean, if you don't work like that at work, somebody else is going to get the promotions. You won't. Isn't that the way it works? Uh, you're supposed to, you, but with God, it's completely different than it is in the world. God does not take record of your abilities, of your accomplishments. Because anything that is truly accomplished in your life ought to be because God did it through you. Can we say amen to that? So then who gets the credit? Well, God does, not you. Amen? Be still and know that I am God. And we go to our second verse. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. Now, last week we talked about knowing God. That it takes thought process here. It, it takes things... Things have to happen. You have to perceive. You have to think about this and contemplate it. You have to make choices. And those choices have to be based on facts. And the number one fact is that He is. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews eleven six. So that's two things. No, actually it's one. God is, and God is good. Those things have to be together. You, you cannot. God is, and God is good. And so we get here to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, and it just picks up where Psalm 46.10 leaves off. That I may know him. And of course, the him is a personal pronoun referring to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? And we need to know that he is God. It's, it's interesting. Uh, uh, this morning, as we were getting, as I was doing final preparation for the service, uh, the phone rings. And uh, some guy calls up and he says, uh, hello, I, I'd like to speak with a pastor there. And I said, well, we have a service starting in about 14 minutes. Is this something that is very brief or, or do you have a longer question? Oh, this, this longer question, me and my cousin were studying the Bible and we're trying to figure out whether Jesus is God. And I tried not to laugh because I'm sitting here going, wow. And I, said, Excuse, I said, well, that, that is a very, very serious principle. If you miss that, you miss the whole Bible. And so I want you to pray. He gave me his name and number. He lives in Iowa, of all places. Must have found this on the Internet. And I said, well, I will call you back at, at, when I can. I, I promise you, uh, it may not be this afternoon. If I don't call you this afternoon or evening, it'll be tomorrow sometime. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this guy and talk to him. I want you to pray about that. Because if he doesn't know who Jesus is, we're... Uh, you know, we're not, we haven't even gotten in the parking lot, as they might say, let alone the right stadium, let alone to be a part of the game. I mean, we're just, we're, we're nowheresville. And so, uh, but this idea of knowing Jesus. I often talk very uh, poorly of commentaries, but I was 
reading commentary in preparation for this, and one of the preachers that I was reading after had an incredible thought. And he said, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? You see, we're not talking about salvation here. We've settled that. Verse 9 is salvation. Paul already had his salvation. Eternity was settled. You see, that word, no, demands two-way communication. I mean, we've used this illustration with the President of the United States so many times. If Donald Trump was to walk into the back into the back of this auditorium, which he's not going to, but if he were, would there be anyone here that would not recognize him? You would not know who he was or what he looked like. I mean, everybody go, "Wow, the president is here," but he doesn't know anyone. None of us in this room know him well enough that he would say. Hey, Brother Pete, it's good to see you. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know me from Adam. If he called my name out, it would only be because one of his aides looked us up on the website and he wanted to appear uh, intelligent and knowing as he walked in. There, He doesn't know me. I don't know him. And that's the way it is with Jesus in a lot of people's lives. Paul said, I am striving in my life that I may know him. We're going to just ask a few questions. When is the last time? Or actually, maybe we should ask it this. In this past seven days, since we were gathered here last Sunday morning, has there been a time where you have recognized the presence of God in your life? If you know Jesus, that should have happened. There should be that two-way communication. If you have to stop and think about that, there, there ought to be one of those warning lights flashing in your heart and in your soul. Because... Salvation is not the end result. Salvation is not the goal. Salvation is the starting point of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that ought to grow. Look what Paul says that he did, that he may know him. He said, listen... Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whither he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul said, listen, 
You want to trust in the flesh? Let's get out the list. I've got you hands down. You cannot compare to what I have done. Paul was not boasting here. He was stating the truth. There were not a handful of people alive in the world at Paul's day. They could boast the things that Paul boasted. You see, he was a Pharisee. There were many Pharisees in the land of Israel. But who was the go-to guy? It was Paul, Saul of Tarsus at that time, wasn't it? He was the one that held their coats when they stoned Stephen. He was the one that went door to door, knocking and hailing people and putting them in jail and confusing them in their testimony and their statements Condemning them even to death, men and women. Nobody had the qualifications that Paul had as he was Saul of Tarsus. If we were alive in Saul's day, he would be the living reality of some of our comic book characters, superheroes. I mean, that's, that's where he was. His real life was the stuff that fiction was made out of. But what did he do with it? He said, I've suffered the loss of all things that I could win Christ. He says, I want to know him. Can I ask you a question? What have you given up in your life that you could know Christ? What talent or natural ability have you laid aside and just let be still and not used it so that you could know Christ? You know, every once in a while I'll meet someone. We had a rather stunning illustration of this point a few weeks ago. Someone that comes in and claims to know great things about the Bible. Be filled with Bible knowledge. Just quote scriptures all over the place. But so devoid of truth, you couldn't find it in their soul if you had a battalion of Marines and a pack of bloodhounds. You see, you've got to get rid of that before you find Christ. He's not impressed with your intellect. He's not impressed with your great understanding of anything. Because he's God. He already knows what would take your entire life to figure out. He already knows it. If you really want to... Uh, as the world says, blow your mind sometime. Here's what you need to stop and think about. Think about the fact that God never thinks. Just, if, if you let that thing really run through your head, you're going to be sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is a little more than I can handle because God never thinks. He already knows. 
But He wants me to know Him and He wants to know me. You see, Paul says, I've given up this whole thing. Everything. I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, that I may know Him. 1 John, I mean not 1 John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, the night which Jesus was betrayed. How many of you remember Philip's question? Show us the Father and it sufficeth us. What did Jesus say? Have I been so long a time with thee, Philip, and yet hast thou not known me? Whoa. But that's where we find ourselves. I will tell you the greatest challenge of life that you will face is getting to know God. Once you know Him, everything else falls into place. The problem is we have a lack of knowledge of God. Uh, I actually considered preaching through Second Peter chapter 1 where it talks about the knowledge of Him. Everything that we need is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you have to understand, just like this preacher said in the commentary uh, that I read, knowing about God is not knowing Him. It's having a two-way conversation. It's allowing God to speak to us And so I want to ask the question one more time. In the last seven days, since we were assembled together, can you think of a time when you recognized His presence in your life, working, that you could know Him better? If your mind comes up kind of blank, Just let it be there. Don't don't spend the rest of your sermon searching for something, trying to manufacture something that isn't there. Let's move on to the next point so that we can get to the end of this thing. And then when we get to the time of invitation, we'll take time where you can just get down on your knees and say, God, please, I don't want this coming week to be like last week. Amen? That's what the preaching is, is about. And so let's look at this next word here. We've got we to get this next word. That I may know Him. Now, what is that next word? Can we read that all together out loud? Well, we've got about ten of you. Let's try it again. What is that next word? And. What does the word and mean? It means in connection with. In addition to. The word but, which we found in our Sunday school lesson several times, means we're stopping. There's a break in the flow that we're changing direction or we're changing focus. The land was a good land, but there were giants in the land and they make me afraid. No, this is and. That I may know him and in addition to. 
I, I can't just stop with knowing Him. There's got to be more. If this is going to happen, I've got to move forward here. And the power of His resurrection. One of the reasons why Christianity is so ignored today is because it is powerless. We go to the same stupid lion psychologist and psychoanalyst the world goes to. We swallow the same philosophy. We use the same music. We use the same uh, motivational tactics as the world uses. And we wonder why the world laughs at us. Now, we don't do that here. Because we don't want the power of the world in the church. We want the power of His resurrection. How many of you have ever tried to make some electrical device work to only find out that the power was dead? It either wasn't plugged in, the batteries were dead, or uncharged. How many of you have ever done that? How many would say, Preacher, I can think of times in my life where my spiritual batteries were dead, where I wasn't plugged into the right power source. It is so easy to serve God with human effort. In fact, if you've been around the church very long, you've heard me preach the sermon. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. And yet my own vineyard have I not kept. That was the sermon I preached on deputation as we were raising money to come here. Because that is the picture of a powerless Christianity and a church that is trying to do God's work without God's power. And we don't get God's power simply because we come together. The only way we can have that power of His resurrection is you need to show up in church on Sunday morning with the power of His resurrection active in your life before you get here. Then, we can do things together. There's uh, the actual name of it uh, just escapes me right now, but you take certain forces and put them together, like electricity, radio waves. I guess a a word would be synergy. And see, uh, with shortwave especially, you can take three transmitters of a given power and put them together, and you don't get the sum total of those. You get ten times the sum total of those Because there is a multiplication of power there. You see, that's how God expects His church to go. How much faith does it take to move a mountain? Just a grain. Just a grain of a mustard seed faith can move a mountain. And yet, church... I want us to ask the question this morning. Collectively, 
do we have that grain? And if we don't have it collectively, how in the world is it active in our lives individually? See, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, when Jesus came out of the grave, what what did he actually accomplish? Number one, victory over death. Because he could not be held by death. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. When Jesus came out of that ground, when he came out of that tomb, uh, when the stone was rolled away, and I I love the way one preacher, I wish you knew who it was, uh, in, in antiquity, the stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so we could see in. You see, that's the power of his resurrection. And yet, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hands, please. But how many of you have been afraid of death, of disease, of something happening to you this week? If the power of his resurrection is active, death has no fear. That's why the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is a shadow to those who live in the power of His resurrection. Can we say amen to that? How about sin? The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for ever sat down on the right hand of God. I don't know that I should even ask this question, but I don't know of a better one to ask. And so just how many of you have sinned since last Sunday? I mean, every hand would go up. How, how do we get past that? How, how do we get beyond just living in the rut of life? Spinning our wheels, not going forward. I'll tell you how. You've got to get power to the other wheels of the vehicle. That's why they have four-wheel drive, to pull you up out of that thing. We've got to get the power of His resurrection to stop this endless cycle of just sitting here wondering what's going to happen, being the victim of circumstances being moved and having to listen to the news media to find out what's going on and listening to all the lies and all of the things that make our society what it is today. You know what? I don't want CNN to steal my joy or Fox News or any of these others. I mean, CBS. I mean, when's the last time you heard something good on the news? Something positive. The most positive things. Oh, there's lots of people that hate Trump. Yay! Good night. 
Let the insane counsel the insane. Amen? Uh, Let's move on! So, question number one. When in the last seven days have you known the presence of God? Do you know Him? When in the last seven days has the power of His resurrection kicked in and actually moved you forward in your Christian life? Those are some sobering questions. But that's what this passage is about. Amen? I know this is hard, but this is Bible. And we can't get past Bible. Amen? Do you want to get past the Bible? I hope not. We want the Bible to change us, not the other way around. Can we say amen to that? Well, this is how it happens. It's through the foolishness of preaching. We've got to understand something. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. But what's that next word? Please look in that verse again. Verse Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. What's that next word? Oh, we got a little better that time. One more time. And, so we got to add more. We're not done yet. It is not and, if, or, or. It is and, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the... Fellowship of His suffering. And the fellowship of His sufferings. I'm sorry. The fellowship of His sufferings. Plural. You know... The most wonderful part of a relationship with another human being is sharing, isn't it? I love to take my wife to restaurants. Especially when we split the food. We do it right down the middle, 30-70, and it is just wonderful. I always make sure and order her extra so that I get extra. Amen. We just, it's sharing. It's being able to be who I am. This is what the world wants. It's what they seek for. You wonder why they dye their hair 15 colors and make their face look like they fell into Dad's tackle box? It's because they're, they're trying to deal with the pain of who they are on the inside. You know why art well, they call it art. I, I don't call it art. Anything they hang up on the wall that my little boy Jason could do a better job of, I don't call it art. Oh, but you got to see the expression, the pain, the trauma. I've had enough of the news. I want to see Jesus. And he brings life into focus. And he makes things clear and honest and true. That's why I reject that foolishness. I've seen enough of the pain 
of human despair and the agony of the soul. I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. Because once he saves you, you can get to know him. And the power of his resurrection. But if you're going to know the power of his resurrection, you've got to be willing to partake of the fellowship of his suffering. How many of you remember the story in Genesis chapter 22 when God came to Abraham and said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. If you don't know that story, read it this afternoon. This is one of the reasons why we have the through the Bible time in Sunday school is so that I can just mention the story. That was the whole purpose of that story. God put Abraham through all that anguish of over three days taking his son up to the top of the mountain and finally convincing his son. And I believe that Isaac cooperated with him and willingly allowed Abraham to bind his hands and lay him upon that altar. And just as he took the knife to slay his son and light the fire that would consume his body and burn it to ashes, God called out of heaven and said, Stay thy hand. To say that Abraham went, was a superb, incredible understatement. The mental anguish. Now, here's what Abraham believed. God let us see into his heart as completely as we could, as if Abraham were here. Read Hebrews chapter 11. He believed that he was, God was going to raise his son from the dead. You see, Abraham's faith was very simple. But for those three days, Abraham shared the fellowship of the anguish that God would feel when Jesus cried out in the darkness on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yet Isaiah says it pleased him, it pleased the Father to bruise him. Why? Because that was the only way you and I could be saved. When is the last time you shared fellowship with Jesus in the cup of suffering? That's a place we don't want to go. Someone says, oh, I've got all these physical problems. I suffer. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not why Jesus was suffering. The agony on the cross was real. There are a few things in this world that anger me more than Mel Gibson's movie on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, a worthless piece of garbage, blasphemous in every point. You cannot learn anything about the suffering of Christ watching that filthy devil-inspired movie. You want to learn about Christ, you read this book called the Bible. But the thing that stands out in my mind was Sean Hannity's a talk show host, and I was just listening, and I heard him give an advertisement. He's going to have the guy that played Jesus in the movie. And I said, as much as I'm going to hate this, I've got to listen to this. 
Here's the quote. This is the actor, I think his name's Caviezel or something like that. He said, I went through hell to make that movie. I'm sitting here, you blasphemous little worm, you have no clue. And he gave the example. It was cold. And he was he was freezing as he hung there on the cross to make the movie. Oh, I feel so sorry for him. And he said, the Roman guard, the man who was playing the Roman guard, actually slipped and he got hit with one of the lashes of the cat of nine tails and it, and it put a mark on him. And he had to go the whole way through the movie with that little hurt on him. Oh, that angers me. When they whipped Jesus, they flayed him alive with that whip. And then they put a robe on him and mocked him as a king. And the robe matted itself into the blood on his back. And then they ripped it off. The physical sufferings were real, my friend. But that's not what this verse is talking about. How many times did Jesus say during his ministry and even in his resurrected, Oh, foolish and faithless generation, how long shall I suffer you? When's the last time? You were actually able to put up with another human being's shortcomings because you love Jesus enough not to be offended. Before you answer that question, how many times did Jesus do that during his earthly ministry so that he could mount the scaffold of the cross and die in our place? Every day. Every day Jesus endured that suffering. Jesus is not out to hurt you. But if you really want to know who He is, you're going to have to partake of the fellowship of His suffering. That's an and. That's how Abraham got to be called the friend of God. And that's why to God, most of us is only a distant acquaintance. It's because we've refused the fellowship of His suffering. When is the last time you got close enough to Jesus to be hated by someone of the world? That's the fellowship of his suffering, my friend. Most of the time when we suffer in this life, it's because of something we did. That's not the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Jesus suffered the innocent for the guilty.
You see, we're going somewhere with these three things. These are three phrases that are stuck in the middle of this sentence. Paul is describing his salvation in verse 9. The beginning of the sentence is actually back in verse 8. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Now here's the verb. Being made conformable unto his death. Finishing the sentence, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, if I am going to be ready to enter into heaven, that's what attaining unto the resurrection of the dead means, I'm saved, but if I'm going to enjoy the journey... If I'm going to actually be prepared to enter heaven when I get there, here's what's got to happen. I must be made conformable to His death. If you want the picture, go back to the Old Testament, the tabernacle. You walked in the gate, what was the first thing you met? A brazen altar. There was always a fire on that brazen altar. There was a morning sacrifice. There was an evening sacrifice. Then all of the daily sacrifices that were offered on that altar. There was always a fire burning there. Consuming the flesh and the skin and the bones and the entrails of the sacrifices that were put on that altar. It is the picture of the death of self. You see, we cannot conform to the death of Christ till we're dead. Now read Galatians chapter 2. It's not talking about laying in a coffin and being dead. Death is separation, is it not? That, that's simply the simplest definition of the word death. My father passed away July 16th, 1979. We've been separated ever since. But I have hope. You see, my father knew Jesus. And one of these days, we're going to be together again. But if I'm going to be prepared to join that other side, if I want a real Christianity, if I want to be still and know who God is, if I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, what that's going to accomplish in my life is being made conformable unto His death. Now, aren't you glad they didn't use the word congruent? How many of you know the difference? 
The word congruent is a geometrical term. It means exactly the same in every dimension and every measurement. The Bible doesn't use that word because you can't do that. If you did, you would have to go to hell forever. And you'd never make it. But it's conformable. You see, Jesus died for me. And so is it a big deal that my life would be shaped by the death of Jesus Christ in my place? See, there are so many Bible verses that I, I, I could just quote Bible verses till the evening service on this passage. This is what our whole Bible is about. This is what the Christian life is really about, is getting rid of me and making me conformable to the image of Christ. Uh, getting rid of my ideas. This is why you cannot serve God in your own thought processes with your talents God does not need you. We need Him. We need Him to change us. We don't even know how to pray like we should. That's why the Holy Spirit's given to us when we get saved. And don't go about trying to groan with utterings that cannot be uttered. They cannot be uttered. You can't do it. Oh, but it's the Spirit in me. Liar! It's not anything but you. If it comes out of you, you're doing it. But what you need maybe I ought to ask this question. Is your life about Jesus or is it still about you? What what makes you get up in the morning? What makes you do the things you do? What is your ultimate motivation for life? Oh, it's to please Jesus. <laughs> if that were true, you wouldn't say it that way. Because knowing Him a terrifying thing. Because He is the Creator God of all the universe. And the power of His resurrection will change everything in your life. And if I were to ask us how many of us have things that need to be changed, every hand would go up. So I would challenge you, we're, we're deficit. The fellowship of His suffering... It was Jesus that said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he's already borne the burden. He's already finished the work. But I get to walk alongside of him. And when I do that, I'm going to be made conformable unto his death. And some of us are so convinced that our Christianity is what God wants it to be, and it's not. We have got to allow the Holy Spirit to call out in us that which hinders conformity to his death.
The world cannot see Jesus in you until you are out of the picture, until you are dead. Oh, but that flesh comes back. It's worse than any horror movie made by Hollywood. Any horror that's been dreamed up by the invention of mankind is not as horrible as the battle that goes on in the soul of every person who is attempting to live this verse. Because to know Him, to have that two-way conversation, to be intimate with the Lord, is to understand my own sinfulness and inability. Oh, but how could you feel so bad about yourself? Jesus loves me this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You see, that's how I feel good about myself. Because Jesus loves me. And the power of His resurrection deals with everything in my life which is bad and puts good which is Him. And that allows me to share with Jesus. To fellowship with Him in suffering. How much Jesus had to put up with to live just three and a half years with those disciples, let alone the other 30 years that led up to that. We don't know that story. We don't need to know that story. But there's enough trouble and suffering in those three and a half years that came just from the disciples to drive any ten ordinary men mad. But it didn't do that to Jesus because he is long-suffering. And that same Jesus is long-suffering and forgiving today. But if you really want to share things with him, you're going to have to sit with him. You're going to have to endure things against you because you know him. Most of us never get that far in our Christianity to where the world even takes note that we exist as Christians. And that doesn't mean you go to a gay pride parade waving your Bible and saying, Son of mine, you're going to hell! That's not what the Bible's talking about. I hope they arrest you for inciting riot. That doesn't help. The cause of Jesus one little bit. But if the power of resurrection was in your life and the fellowship of His suffering in you are conformable to His death, then the world in which we live will see Jesus. That's what it's all about, my friend. That's how lives get changed. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we ask that this sermon wouldn't be relegated to the 
time that we have spent, that I have spent delivering it, or even to the time of invitation that follows. But Lord, we would let this verse sink deep into our hearts and our souls and convict us. Show us. And we really don't know you like we should or could. That the power of your resurrection is so often short-circuited in our lives because we don't know who you are. And when it comes time to share that fellowship of suffering, to actually draw close to you, so close that we're able to experience some of the things you've experienced in this life, we fall utterly short. Lord, we, we are far too much alive to be your servants today. We ask that you would help us. be made conformable unto his death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing the hymn of invitation.